I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is uh, attorney Rebecca Morrison and author of The Happiness Recipe, A Powerful Guide to Living What Matters. To find your recipe for happiness, you need to know what matters most to you, have strong beliefs to support taking the necessary steps, and actually do the kinds of things you want that you want to while letting go of the rest. You also need to be willing to share your desires with the world, something that is often challenging. By decluttering your days of the should and the have-to moments and focusing instead on what actually matters, a road toward fulfilling joy will be laid before you. With actionable steps for closing the gaps that are often present along the path to happiness, Rebecca Morrison shares insights on how to start living a happier life, starting right now. She's a graduate of Wellesley College and Georgetown Law and is also a UC Berkeley Executive Coaching Institute Certified Executive Coach. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Catherine. I'm excited to be here. Well, I know that you have said we are born to be happy, but somewhere along the way our lives get cluttered, and I understand that also happened to you. Uh, I don't know if that was your aha moment, but... uh, born to be happy. Uh, Explain that to us, because I never really thought about that we were born to be happy. I always think about we have to work at it. You know, it's sort of, um, uh, we're not necessarily, it's not our right or privilege, I guess, but we we do have to work at it. Well, so the way that I think about it is the way that we come into this world is wired for happiness, right? We're not brought into this world, um, you know, from infancy with a bunch of shoulds. Those shoulds come after we arrive. And the shoulds often are a big source of tension um, and, and friction that keep us from living our happiest. And so that's how I think about it, that, you know, we come in kind of this clean slate and then we we get cluttered with all the noise of the shoulds and what we're told and what we see other people doing and how we think it ought to look without, and often in that process, we lose connection to ourselves and what really matters most to us. So for me, you know, uncovering our, our individual happiness recipe is really about being able to, to shed as much of that noise as we can and only claim the parts that are, are actually ours. Rebecca, when do they first start coming into play? When do those shoulds, at what stage? Okay, so we're born to be happy. We're a clean slate, as you just said. Okay, when does it begin? I mean, maybe, (laughs) maybe as soon as the moment of birth, right? Um, Or, you know, just after, maybe our parents, you know, maybe we come into this world and our parents have um, notions of what they wish and hope for us that never, you know, often, or I shouldn't say never, often are not handed to us in a way that is detrimental or intended to limit us, but actually just, you know, intended to help guide us to what they think would be best for us or best for the world. Um, but, you know, it kind of starts pretty early that, you know, we get told how we should show up, how we should act, what we should be aiming towards, what we should be trying to achieve, um, what what success should look like. Uh, I think it starts at a pretty early age. So given that we have to start decluttering, hopefully at an early age, too. But so how do we start to declutter those have tos, those shoulds that don't work for us, that make us unhappy rather than happy? 
uh, because obviously you have the recipe for that, and that's what the book is all about. So <laughs> where do we begin? Yeah, so, I mean, let's take a, a little zoom out moment and let me talk to you about how I view or how I define the recipe for maximum happiness. I define the recipe for maximum happiness as something very simple. It's do more of what matters to you and less of the rest in this season of your life. And so then what, where the book goes from that very simple concept is to the execution. And it's the execution, actually, that is not so simple. And there's a couple of gaps that get in the way of us being able to execute on that recipe. I've, identified, or, you know, I've sort of divided them into three. The first gap is, I call it the authenticity gap, but it's really, do we know what matters most to us in this season? Are we connected to what drives us to our purpose? What is our North Star? What is our top priority? So that's, that's the first gap. I'll come back to the middle gap in a minute because it's often the one that gets missed because we live in an action-based society where we jump right from knowing what we want to making it happen. And that's the last gap, the physical energy gap, I call it, or the doing gap. Are we actually living in a way where we are aligning our time, our energy, and our resources with what matters most to us? Now, I said there's a middle gap. And I think about the middle gap as sort of a bridge. And it's the bridge that gets missed. And I call it the emotional energy gap, but you might also call it the mindset gap. It's do we have the supportive beliefs and feelings the way of thinking that will allow us to actually take what matters most to us and live it. And it might sound simple, but the reality is the mindset gap is where a lot of the baggage of the should lives. It's where guilt lives. It's where our struggle to say no lives. Because implicit in this recipe is the notion that you're going to do more of what matters to you and less of the rest. And I say that that line, and often people skip the less of the rest part, but actually shedding the stuff that is less important is as meaningful a part of the process as going after more of what matters. Right. So, so can sure you give I us really an example? I'm going to stop you for a second because can you yeah. give us a, an example of that? Because I think that obviously that's a really important point. You've got to let go of the rest and that's of the stuff that doesn't work and that is the most difficult thing to do. So put that in a context uh, of, a, of a scenario that we can relate to. So I'll give you a story of that from my own life. Um, you know, I did a lot of what I thought I should do. I checked a lot of boxes. I got the good grades. I went to the good schools. I got the good job. I, you know, I went to law school. I got a job at a big law firm. I was on partnership track. And I found myself one evening about 16 years ago, sitting on the bathroom floor. And I had my toddler in the tub and I had the cordless phone clipped to the back of my pants. And I had the toilet seat cover closed with my notes on the toilet seat cover and paper spread all around me. And I was doing two things. Um, I was saving my toddler, and I was on a conference call helping prepare an expert for their upcoming testimony. Remember, I was a litigator at this point, and, um, and I had two thoughts in quick succession. My first thought was, well, who says that you can't do it all? Like, I'm here, I'm killing it, I, you know, I've got, I'm a present mom, and I'm doing awesome work, and I'm successful at work. And then my second thought was, and I'm tired, and I'm not even sure this is what I want to be doing with my time, that I'm really having fun being a lawyer. Not that I'm not good at it, but am I having fun? Am I enjoying it? Does it have meaning to me? And in order to make the transition that I ultimately made kind of off of the partnership track into a more admin role so that I had more schedule control, that required me letting go of all of the things that I thought should success should look like. It required me releasing the notion of becoming partner. It required me coming to peace with the investments that I had made of time, energy, and resources into becoming a lawyer. 
it required me sort of confronting what I thought my parents' definition of success looked at like. Spoiler alert, their definition of success was not what I thought. Um, it was do what matters most to you was part of their definition. And so it ended up being fine. But, you know, it required me confronting all of those, all of those um, mindset moments around, can I really let this thing go? Because I, it feels like I'm on this, you know, this track and I should stay there. Um, that's just one example, a big example from my life. But then you could go into smaller examples. Like, do you really have to show up for all of those events? Do you really have to go to everything you're invited to? Do you really have to take on every project that you're offered? Or are you doing it because it feels like it's the quote unquote right thing to do, but it might not be the right thing for you? I think what, you know, it, and I think what's important while you're doing this or when you're doing this and is that you have to, you have to make it real. I think you say you have to tell the rest of the world. You have to be, um, you sort of, you have to be out there with what, what you want yeah. and what you don't want. And you really have to say it or write it or do both or shout it out so that it actually happens. Um, I think that's right. I mean, I talk about it in terms of, you know, priority PR, right? Like actually being willing to do the public relations work that telling the folks in your life, you know, who are important to you, what matters most to me, what my top priority is, so that they can help you align around that priority and that they can understand where you're coming from when you elect not to do something that doesn't align with that priority. Do you think, Rebecca, because, and I'll take you as the example again, I mean, here you're, you're smart, you're able-bodied, you're able to do a lot of different kinds of things, um, at least uh, cognitively, academically, I don't know about physically, but that it makes it more difficult for people like you who have those skills and abilities to say, okay, no, I am not going to be a litigator, I'm not going to make a lot of money, I'm not going to, you know, this is what I'm going to let go of, that, it, that it's really a challenge for somebody who, as talented as you are. Well, I, I, I'll take, I'll take the um, notion that I'm talented as a compliment, but I'll say this. I actually think that we all have, we all are multi-talented. We all have talents that far outstrip um, where we need to focus those talents. And so I think it's a challenge. I mean, I haven't met anyone yet for whom it is not a challenge to say no to something that they can do. And that, I mean, that's really what you're getting at, right? Is this notion of, well, you're capable, shouldn't you be doing it, right? And I firmly believe that we really have to weigh not just what we can do, but what, whether, what, whether those things are really the right thing for us right now. And, um, you know, I have fallen into the trap multiple times as recently as three years ago when I decided to start this business and found myself at loose ends, the trap of, well, let me just find something that I can do. And as you point out, I, there's a long list of things that I can do. There's a long list of jobs I could, I could apply for that I would be qualified for. That doesn't mean that they are the right job for me right now. And so it's distinguishing between ability and desire um, or really kind of finding the intersection of the two, right? Where, where do you have the talent and also the desire um, to take action in this season? I think sometimes it's difficult, though, to let go of that high when everybody expects you to do something and you do it well and you get praises and, and from your family, your colleagues or friends or whoever. Really, really hard to say, I'm not going to do this anymore because I'm overwhelmed with it. It doesn't work. It doesn't make me happy um, because that, that 
that high that you get from those achievements, um, I, I, I think it's, it's not an easy thing to let go. So how, well, I think you're yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I think the more that you, um, that you are fueled and this is not a bad thing, but the more that you are fueled by external validation, the harder that, that thing that you just described becomes for sure. You talk about eight breakthrough behaviors that can bring more happiness into your life. Um, what are the eight behaviors? So, um, you know, this is the part of my book where I get into that, that missing, um, that sort of bridge gap that gets missed, that mindset piece. And I tried in, in the book to include sort of eight of the most common things that I see p- tripping people up. And so the first breakthrough behavior is borrowing joy, um, which really is about instead of looking for what could go wrong, making room in the conversation for what could go right. Um, The second breakthrough behavior is sourcing joy, which is really about understanding where your happiness, contentment, and other positive emotions come from. The third breakthrough behavior is claiming control, which is really about understanding where in your life you can actually exercise control and what might be outside your control. Let's stop on that one because I think that's an interesting one, that issue of control. (laughs) Uh, Maybe that's my issue. So, yeah, let's talk about some examples (laughs) with (laughs) with that. Well, you can't see me over here, but I'm raising my hand, too. Like, definitely can relate. Definitely, um, you know, definitely have dealt with my own control issues. And for me, you know, this is something actually that my kids taught me. I also have two kids. One is 18, one is 14. And when they were younger, my my daughter in particular really struggled with like, why isn't my brother or why aren't my friends or why aren't these people doing things the the right way, right? And so we had a lot of conversations around, well, what in this situation can you control? You can't control your brother's behavior or your friend's behavior. The only thing that you can control is how you show up to the situation and that you do so in a way that you can be proud of. And so for me, it's really about continually reminding myself of in this situation where I might be struggling or where I might be stuck or where I might be challenged or where I might be frustrated, what are the levers that I can pull, you know, to where do I have control? And um, spoiler alert, pretty much it boils down to almost every time that simple idea of the only thing I can control in this situation is how I show up my behavior and my thoughts and my actions, right? How you show up, that's critical. And it's also critical in terms of, I mean, you mentioned your son and your daughter, but in terms of a, a relationship, in your case, I guess, with your husband or partner, because, um, yeah. yeah, and I think sometimes that may be more difficult. Uh, um, how do we do that? How does that work? Well, I mean, I don't know if this will be a satisfying an- answer, but it works. <laughs> it right. actually works the same way. It actually works the same way in every situation. It's just more challenging, I find, the more emotionally we invested we are in the outcome, right? Yeah. I mean, if you go, for example, if you go to the grocery store and somebody in line is misbehaving, you might recognize very quickly that you can't fix that, right? And then you get to leave the grocery store and you you know, forget about that person who was doing whatever it was that they were doing. But when you're in a 
you know, a partnership with somebody, a relationship with somebody, whether it's, you know, a friendship or a romantic relationship or your kids, you're invested in the success of that relationship. And so suddenly then when something goes wrong or when you perceive that if they could just change the following, it would be easier, you get really invested in trying to fix what they are doing when in fact you have no control over that, right? And so it comes down to the same level of surrender and recognizing that you can only control what you can control and you have to release the rest. I guess my, uh, and thinking about that, like your relationship with your partner is an equal relationship and he, he or she may have the same kind of control issues that you do with your kids. Well, yeah. somewhat different because you, it's not an equal relationship and you do have more, I, I won't say control, but power over the relationship. So it's a little bit different. Um, I think in, in obviously I see you're, what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, you're right. But, I mean, as a parent, right, I can I can set a boundary. But guess what? As, in a partnership, I also have the ability to set boundaries. I just maybe have less likelihood of them being taken as, you know, parental law, right? Yeah. And I'm curious because, you know, you said 16 years ago, you're sitting there in the bathroom with your head on the toilet and deciding I'm really not happy. I'm a litigator and I'm taking care of my toddler. When you begin, you realize that and you started to make changes, um, how did that affect your relationship with your spouse? Because their expectations all of a sudden, wow, this is totally different than what they expected, I, I assume, in terms of your behavior and what you were doing. Yeah, I mean, it was a process to um, communicate. And it comes, this comes back to this sort of notion of priority PR, right? It, it was a process to really be clear with my spouse about why I needed to make a change, that it was not just, you know, I'm tired or it's too much work or, and that those were all true. It was a lot of work and I was tired, but it was really about living a life that was more aligned with what mattered most to me. And once we got clear, you know, once that was clearly communicated because he loves me, that's hard to argue with. And I will tell you, you know, he has kind of a whining test at the time that that bathtub moment happened, um, he was working in counterterrorism. Fast forward to today, he coaches high school basketball. So he's kind of engaged in his own journey of, you know, doing what he needs to do to figure out what matters most to him in this season, in each season of his life and really pursue that. And so the way that I look at it, um, you know, it's not that that change 16 years ago, you know, was the thing that allowed him to do that, but it created this permission in our relationship more broadly for both of us to be engaged in this conversation around what matters to me, what's actually important to me, and how can I align, how can I have the freedom to align how I'm living with that? Yeah, and I think your book and, and your premises are, are so critical, especially today, because there are so many choices, and we get caught up in yes. it, and, and I, I think that uh, more so than there have ever been, I mean, in terms of, you know, ever, anything that we can or choose or want to do. So it really does make it difficult to be able to sit down and hence you got to read the book, The Happiness Recipe, because people are always saying, I want to be happy. I'm not happy. I should be happy given, you know, all the, all of what I have, but I'm really not happy. And they're searching for that happiness recipe. So what else can you, okay. Um, you talk about um, remember to celebrate your successes with your team 
uh, be they personal or professional. So you have to constantly, constantly be out there, I guess. Like maybe I'm saying the same thing I said before, but you have to constantly be celebrating those, what, happy moments, happy choices. Um, that's really, yeah. It's really important. And, and actually, it's not just about, so it's really important um, on a deeper level. And so one of the challenges that lives in that middle gap is our nervous system, right? We have a, a, a portion of our literal wiring as a human being that is designed to keep us safe. And so when we're trying to change, and often for people kind of realigning their lives around their top priority requires change, your nervous system is going to raise its hand and say, mm, I don't know about this change thing. Is it safe? Right. And um, to fast forward back to celebration, one way to show your nervous system that change is good is to celebrate change and to celebrate when you sort of, you know, when you have a good day, when you have an achievement, when something happens that makes you smile. That celebration is an important part of the feedback loop to your nervous system through your brain chemistry that, oh, hey, you're safe here. This is good. Change is good. You're fine. Right. And so. You know, when I talk about celebrating, I think about celebrating everything from, you know, the, the small milestone or the, or the little victory all the way to the big thing. And it's really not something that we're trained to do. Again, we live in a, you know, a mile a minute society where information is flowing at us like a fire hose. And there's not a lot of, like, encouragement to slow down. You know, somebody told me recently about a commencement speech that somebody gave that basically was like, look, you know, we prepare, we prepare, we prepare for something. Let's say that thing takes 14 minutes. And at the 15th minute, we're already on to the next thing. And, and we're really depriving ourselves of something super important from a physical and from a nervous system perspective by not taking that 15th minute to celebrate. I think that's critical, and I, that's why I pointed it out. We only have a couple minutes left, uh, and obviously yeah. there's a lot more to talk about, but but that's so true. Stop and celebrate and give yourself a break, and we just don't do that. And it really, if you do that, as you're saying, um, it really builds on itself, and it really does, um, it, it works. I mean, I think that's really um, great, good advice. But uh, the title of the book is The Happiness Recipe, A Powerful Guide to living what matters. Um, so Rebecca, could you give us, I mean, as I said, there is much more in the book and much more to talk about. So a website and or websites we can go to, to uh, get more information about the book and the work you do. Of course. So I like to make it easy. One website, one stop shop. And that website is untanglehappiness.com. So that's untangle, no D happiness.com. And you can learn about the work that I do. You can locate your favorite way to buy that book um, and access, you know, sort of other content that I've got out there as well as find all the ways to connect with me on social media. Fantastic. That's great. It's great talking to you today. And um, obviously good luck with the book, um, the happiness recipe. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation and I love, um, I love the insightful questions you asked. So thank you so much. Great. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 